Grace and peace be with you from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple years ago, I had the privilege of going back and seeing my family home. It was one of those things, when I was in college, my parents moved, and they, they maintained the house, but they rented it out, so you could never really go over to it and see it. But a couple years ago, my brother moved in, so we were able to go to the house to see it. First time in really probably, what, 14, 15 years, something like that. And it was interesting. Now, of course, some of it, you know, you go through the house and you go, I remember this being a lot bigger, you know, but, uh, but some of it was, was also like we went to areas that my father and I had cleared all the brush. And of course, now there's nothing but brush. Nobody has maintained it over the last 15 years. There was also a tree over by one of the fence lines, and it was a tiny little thing. And I remember always thinking I should really cut that and get it away, and I never did. It's not a little tree anymore. It's a big tree. And if I wanted to move it now, it would be quite a bit of work. It grew. Time took control. Time reversed so many things that we had worked towards. Time had changed things. Time. It's not something that we really take a lot of time to think about, ironically, right? Time. We don't, we don't think about it very often. We live in such a culture of things that are instantaneous, a culture of microwaves and instapots, a culture where we don't just have TV, but we have TV on demand. Watch what we want, when we want. We even have other such things. We have technology at our fingertip, at our voices. Whenever we speak, we have things at the ready, at the go. We live in a world of things that are instantaneous. But how about our walk with our Lord? How about our faith? You see, faith isn't something that's instantaneous per se. We might wish it was, we might think it is, but then it really isn't. It's a walk, it's a journey. And it goes both ways. If you miss a church service, it's not the end of the world. You won't wake up on Monday morning and go, oh, I don't believe anymore, I'm not a Christian anymore. But then you miss another one. And then you miss even more and even more. And before you know it, you're missing more church services than you're going to. And then even after a little while, you find it hard to even remember the last time you were actually in church. It didn't happen fast. It was slow. It was slow. It took time. Maybe the same thing happens with our prayer lives at first, we're just so busy, we don't have time to stop and pray. And then, before you know it, we're trying to remember the last time we really took time to pray to our Lord. Maybe it's reading the Bible. It could be any number of things. Things that slip out of our fingers over time. It's not instantaneous. It doesn't happen right then and right there. It takes time. And what about our own values, our own moralities? People that live in, in immoral lives, rarely did it happen to them instantaneously. It took time. It took moments where the, at first they, they had to do it or felt they had to do it. And then, and then after a while, it just became a part of who they were. 
then now they don't even repent anymore. They don't even feel like they need to repent anymore. And maybe even after a while, they feel like this is what they're going to do, and they don't care what anybody else thinks. And if God doesn't like it, he can get lost. It didn't happen in an instant. It happened in a lifetime. It happened over time. We sometimes call this hardening of a heart. Whenever you, whenever you begin get to a point where you don't even feel like you need to repent anymore, that sin isn't really sin. It's called the hardening of the heart. Our witness to Christ tonight is Pontius Pilate, somebody who knows quite a bit about the hardening of the heart. He didn't start this way. This isn't where he began. Now, he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a Christian. But he started being born out of a middle-class family. Now, there's something about Roman uh, culture that you need to understand. When you're born into a a middle-class family, it's almost impossible to get out of a middle-class family. I mean, you can can become a lower-class family, but you're probably not going to be a noble. You're probably not going to be some higher-up. You're just going to be a middle-class person. And Pontius Pilate was that middle-class person. Joined the military like a lot of people did in his age, the Roman military. But none of that caused him to get fame or anything like that. He did that by marriage. You see, he caught the eye of a certain young lady who just happened to be the granddaughter of one Caesar. That will help you out. That will get you up in the ranks, marrying the granddaughter of the most powerful person in the known empire, of the strongest empire at that time. And that's how he did it. Caesar made him governor, a ruler of sorts, a governor over the land of Judea from 26 to 36 AD. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. It wasn't without its missteps. He had his problems. Even the Gospel of Luke talks about some of those missteps that Pilate did that enraged some of the Jews of the time, some of the people that lived there, some atrocity that he had committed that they just did not like. But Pilate was the ruler. But even so, you can only have so many missteps before Caesar finds out, and you might find yourself in real trouble. But these Jews, they try something a little different. They bring Jesus to Pilate. Now, Pilate can really care less. He just doesn't care. But you see, these chief priests, these elders, they're they're really slick. You see, they keep talking about how Jesus calls himself a king. Now, in Hebrew, when you say somebody is a king, what you mean is they're anointed. Think about it. King David was anointed. King Saul was anointed. They were anointed as king. And that's what it means. Now, the word for anointed here is Messiah. And Jesus certainly was the Messiah, the great Messiah. But when you translate that over into Greek and Latin, it comes out as king. And so, you see, they're using a little wordplay here to basically take an accusation against Jesus and make it stick against Pilate. But Pilate sees through it. He gets what they're doing. He knows what they're doing. And so he wants to proclaim Jesus as innocent. But he has a problem. You see, right around this time, Tiberius, that's Caesar Tiberius, gets ill. Now, Roman emperors at this time had a real interesting way of handling getting sick. 
No, they didn't just lie in bed until they felt better. You see, the problem was, is that if you were a Caesar and you got sick, that was the perfect time to overthrow you. That was the perfect time to assassinate you. You're weak, your guards are down, maybe something else. It's a great time to come in and try to seize power. And so what the Caesars would do is they would basically handle everything with an iron fist. Even a small problem gets settled with a hammer. And that was what they did. Kind of let the whole world know I'm still Caesar, I still have control, don't mess with me. And so what do they do? They start telling them, they start telling Pilate, look, we're going to tell Caesar on you. We're going to tell Caesar that you let this guy who's calling himself a king rule the roost. And now if Pilate lets that happen, he could be in real trouble. He could be in real trouble by somebody who really doesn't have any bloodline with him. It's just through marriage. And his granddaughter can find a new husband. And so Pontius Pilate finds himself in a real pickle. You might say it's a blackmail. That's what they're doing. And so Pilate looks now to save himself. And he does it by sending an innocent man, a man he knows is innocent, to his death. Oh, he tries to wash his hands clean. He tries to to say the blood isn't on my hands and so on. But it doesn't work. You see, the Jews can't kill outside of Pilate's go-ahead, and Pilate gives the go-ahead. He's the one who signs the document, if you will. He's the one who sentences Jesus to death. An innocent man, a man he knows is innocent. Pilate no longer thinks that this is a moral problem. It's all about save yourself without looking to anybody else. Pilate has a hardened heart. It took time. It didn't happen all at once. It took time. And as we think about this, as we reflect upon all the things that happened to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we reflect upon the witness this evening of Pontius Pilate, maybe, just maybe, you think to yourself and you reflect on yourself and we begin to reflect and you think, wow, what are some of those things that... I I used to be so passionate about, but it took time, and I've been letting them slide. What are some practices that you had, and you started with all the best of intentions, but now time has gone by, and it's impacted you. Things that you were so sure of, but now all of a sudden you find yourself maybe not just ignoring them, but actually engaging in them, engaging in things that you know are sinful. And you might think, well, a hardened heart, that's, that's pretty serious. That's a pretty serious thing to have a hardened heart. And you're right, it is. But I want you to notice something. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, all throughout Holy Scripture, they don't talk about restoring a heart. He doesn't talk about taking a heart and making it a little bit better. I, this is one of the reasons I love some of our, our liturgical elements. We say it all the time in some, some of our Sunday worship, right? Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Notice that first word, create. That's what our Lord does. Our Lord creates, and He creates anew. Through holy baptism, we are created anew through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not that our Lord simply lets us go. It's not that our Lord simply turns us around. It's that our Lord creates us anew 
He creates a new heart in us. He softens our heart and creates it brand new. All through the very work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It says in Romans 6, and Paul tells us that through our baptism, we have been buried with Christ. We have been dead with Christ. And we have been raised anew. We are created anew through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So even if you feel like you're, you're, you're going in a losing battle, even if you feel like you've lost it, even if you feel like, like you've gotten too far, you haven't. Because our Lord and Savior doesn't just work to repair he creates brand new in his name. Amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds.